The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bloom, episode 34. After a week off for the holiday season, we are back in the new year to get you ready for the 2023 fantasy baseball season, recapping the last of the latest hot stove action, because we'll get that finished one of these days, and the first Bloom board of Bubba and the Bloom for the season to get you going as well, because it is Bloom board season. You can find myself on Twitter at BDNTrick, and my co-host is always on Twitter at RyanBHQ, Ryan Bloomfield. How are we doing, my friend? We're, we're we're rejuvenated. I uh, so you you I think you were a little nice in the intro, Bubba, saying that we took a a week off, but it was we, really we are just, a team, Ryan. We are a team. It was really just me on vacation while you had like seven other podcasts while I was <laughs> gone. So thanks for um, picking up my end of the slack. But yeah, rejuvenated, man. Like we were we were down in Arizona for a week between Christmas and New Year's. We have avo- somehow avoided the the Southwest fiasco we had two southwest flights to and from but um that kind of meltdown was while we were in arizona and it was all good when we went there and then when we got back and yeah now that i'm back and started up bloom boards like you said we're gonna we're gonna do a little a little bloom board preview as part of this episode but it, it just feels like once that calendar i know we've been doing baseball since we've never really stopped, never stopped. <laughs> but it just feels like once that calendar switches to january man um there's just a lot more interest in what we're doing uh, just a lot more buzz on social media and it's a uh, awesome time of year because draft season is really starting to starting to peak now it definitely is. It, I entered my fourth 50s. I've been doing one at a time, behaving myself right now. <laughs> so I've been doing that. But I'm also in an on-the-wire pod helping the joining those guys. Again, they did a fun listener league pods for 50 bucks. So I jumped in one because, you know, Kevin Hastings can't say no to that guy either at the bar in Arizona or 
on the show. So it's just one of those deals. And uh, so I'm jumping in there about five or six rounds. And we'll talk about that later. There's a question for that. And I have a, I've done a totally different strategy on that one. So I can't wait to talk about it and get your two cents. Is on that, that a 15 team or are those 12? 12, 12 team. So it's like an OC, but there's no overall. Obviously, it's just a standalone 12 team league. Good payouts, though. So if you want to learn the NFPC format, phenomenal way to do it. So contact the boys at On the Wire Podcast. I highly recommend it. Or if there's enough interest, just ask me. I'll put some together. I put the gladiators together. I got no problem putting some 50s together to get some people's uh, beak wet in the NFPC streets. So let us know one way or another. All right, let's do it. Let's have some fun here. We'll recap the most important stuff from the hot stove since we've left off. And then, like I said, we'll get to the bloom board. And the most important thing, because Ryan knows my love for Dalton Bar show, and he texted me because we were talking about maybe doing a Friday instead of a Thursday show last time. And he's all, man, if we would have waited one day, we could have done this one live. Like, you got my Correa re- reaction live. We would have got Dalton Bar show traded from the Arizona Diamondbacks to the Toronto Blue Jays for Lourdes Gurriel, Gabriel Moreno. There's other pieces involved, but those are the main three cogs on the wheel on this trade. So let's start at the top, Ryan. Dalton Varsho going to go to to Toronto, primarily being the outfield like he was in Arizona. Might not catch it all with Danny Jansen and Kirk there. So this might be the last year of catcher eligibility for you dynasty folks. But for this season, it's all gravy, and it's a good lineup to go to, Ryan. It's a great lineup to go to. And this trade, like, I mean, just in general, this trade is – I know it happened a little while ago and there's been all the takes and, and whatnot, but I feel like it's important enough that we, we should at least give our own uh, thoughts. Cause there's a lot of freaking moving pieces to this one, but yeah, first off we'll start Varsho. Like I agree. He's probably not going to catch. I also agree like Toronto, something had to give with those three catchers. Um, I think Danny Jansen now who is, I know we probably disagree on this because I know you you love Alejandro Kirk. I think Danny Jansen ends the season as Toronto's best fantasy catcher. Can I can I comment real quick? I just took him in my latest fifty as my catcher one. So I'm I, Jansen. I, yeah, I tweeted okay. about Jansen like three weeks ago. Breaking, looking into him deeper. I'm starting to, especially especially at the price. I'm liking Jansen a little more than Kirk as well. I just I love I love how I mean they're both great. So I, I like how this move. Pretty much, I think, frees them up between catcher and DH to both play. So, like, their value gets boosted. Dalton Varsho, pretty fascinating. Like, from obviously from a lineup standpoint, that's a major boost. From a park factor standpoint, it's a it's a really nice boost for home runs. Baseball Savant has um, Toronto as the 19th best, so kind of like league average uh, for home runs for lefties. But he's leaving Arizona, which was 29th. So second to worst in baseball uh, from a park factor standpoint. So that's all good. He'll keep catcher eligibility through this season in dynasty leagues. Kind of like you mentioned, that value was going to dry up because I don't think Varsho is going to be a catcher eligible next season, but he'll still be fine fantasy wise. The the one kind of, and I, I discussed this on Twitter, I think with Phil Dussault and, and Rob uh, Silver when the trade broke because they're both Jays fans. Was both like, Canadians, yep. They have an inside track. Those insiders in that in in that country um, will Varsho run like that? That's the big thing, mm-hmm. is right. Like I mean, Varsho's a, a he's a good hitter, great defender. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Will he run with Toronto? And at first, I was like, ah, I don't, I don't know. But I forgot. I mean, we talked about Vlad Jr. and those eight stolen bases in the second half once Toronto had made that manager change. Like I, I, I'm not really concerned at all about Varsho uh, not running. So um, I still have JTR like slightly ahead of Varsho, but it's um, 
it's a lot closer than it used to be. It is. And I know we, we talked about the, uh, you know, Vlad running the second half. It seemed like when the new manager came, that's one way to look at it. I know when they went farther down that thread, Mason and others jumped in there and it was like, I think eight of the 10 attempts were against like the White Sox and one other team. It was like in a, a real short span. So there's questions, but I, I think Varsha runs. We've seen, you know, Bichette runs. If you can run, I think they're letting you run. Let's put it that way. Like Vlad was an anomaly. They were running beforehand. So I, I don't see why they wouldn't. Why would you trade for a guy and try to change a guy? That makes no sense to me. But um, especially a young guy. So I think that's definitely something to keep in mind. And the fact he's not catching usually keeps the legs a little healthier, a little longer. So that's pretty, pretty positive as well. Now the conundrum part, the, the Diamondbacks. They trade one outfielder and they get another uh. one back. So you got Lourdes Gurriel. Um, I want to read off a tweet by Jeff Erickson from today. I know a lot of other people have talked about it, but this one just stood out today. Diamondbacks outfield right now, playing time-wise. You have Corbin Carroll, Jake McCarthy, Lourdes Gurriel, Alec Thomas, Josh Rojas, Smith, Paven Smith, and Mr. Lewis from Seattle. Now, obviously, there's DHing involved. They probably won't make the roster. But that's a lot of mouths to feed going into spring training to kind of weed out the differences. Yeah, and at HQ, so I'm just going through our playing time projections. We project every player at every position. Lourdes Gurriel, Corbin Carroll, McCarthy all at 75%. We've got Alec Thomas and Kyle Lewis at 30% and Paven Smith at 15 Just a lot of bodies. Um, I think Gurriel's good enough to play at least most days yeah. in Arizona. Um, but for as good of a move as this was for Varsho, it's equally, if not as if not more terrible for Gurriel to go from the sixth best park for right-handed hitters in Toronto to the 22nd best park for right-handed hitters and home runs in uh, Chase Field. So like that's a major park downgrade and we'll, we probably could get into a little bit more on Gurriel later in the show because he actually does show up on the Bloomboard that we're going to talk about. Um, but the dude had no home runs after July anyway. And so this kind of that that thought if he could rebound and he still might i mean he had the wrist surgery and and that sort of thing but just makes it that much harder uh, for guriel and i'm you know we haven't even talked about the 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 lineup downgrade which yeah. arizona was kind of sneaky decent at the end of the year offensively and if certainly if corbin carroll stays up there all year and can hit that's going to help but um there's no way it's it's even neutral move from toronto over to arizona so um i don't like it for guriel uh one bit yeah, I'm not a big fan of that either. He should DH plenty. You'd think between DH and the outfield, you'd imagine he still gets his fair share of action. And I know you uh, were like profiling him earlier, like the, some potential positive regression things coming yeah. his way, and then he got traded. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Now to the catching side of things in Arizona, Gabriel Moreno was the, the high prospect catcher for Toronto. We, like you said, something had to give between Jansen, Kirk, and Moreno. Moreno gets dealt to Arizona. They still have Kelly there, Carson Kelly, who they're big fans of, especially defensively behind the dish. But Gabriel Moreno is one of those like offensive talents that people talk about quite a bit. And since December 1st in an FEC ADP, he's the 18th catcher off the board in draft champions. It's a uh, 17 draft, so I haven't narrowed it down too much yet. But he's gone as high as 187 since the trade. So he's creeping up the boards, and he's still going ahead of Carson Kelly, who is going at 402. So there's a big difference in ADP between the two. How do you look at those two guys in Arizona? I'd imagine they want Moreno to play a bit, but they do love Kelly's defense. Yeah, that's the interesting part is like, well, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I'm i not going to kind of, I mean, I can guess. <laughs> I yeah, may not be right. We do. But that's we, what we do, Ryan. We guess. 
<laughs> and we're we're sometimes right, sometimes wrong. It's one of those like wait and see things to spring training. Um, we are at HQ projecting 60%, a 60-40 split for Carson Kelly. Um, so we're kind of hedging, at least at this time with the information that we have, that Kelly's going to start the season. Maybe Moreno gets some more seasoning down in the minors and then comes up because, like you mentioned, Kelly's defense is so good. And, I mean, I've always been a Carson Kelly guy, a catcher. Like, I thought he was kind of a sneaky number two uh, catchers. And here we are talking about number two catchers again with with, with the master, uh, you, of, of the catching position. Um, so I, I think it – I don't know. It hurts Carson Kelly for sure. He's going to have to produce or else he's looking over that rear view mirror. But second half improvements, and I think with Moreno, hopefully, maybe, I don't know if hopefully is the right word, but probably getting more seasoning in AAA. I think Kelly at least starts the season. And if you're waiting that long for your second catcher, you're probably streaming that position at some point during the season anyway. So just take the guy who's going to start the season and go from there. Yep, 100% agree. Moreno is attractive. Won't be wrong, but it's just, it's it's interesting. I, we have no idea. We have zero clue how it's going to play out. It could be a disaster for you. You know, two catcher league, there's probably much quote unquote safer options and see where it goes from there. But hey, if you want to take the gamble, Moreno could be the deal. Last but not least, you know, we're moving catchers around, which obviously changes things. Um, you, you have a note here about the Toronto pitchers. Uh, how, how do you think this affects the pitching in Toronto? So this is kind of a combination with the Kevin Kiermeyer move um, that Toronto made, I think like the week, week or two before this. But um, yeah, they went from Lourdes Gurriel, who's one of the worst uh, corner outfielders in baseball, or at least was in 2022 per the metrics, to Dalton Varsho, who was elite um, defender in the corner outfield. So I, I think kind of the low-key winner of this trade is a Toronto pitching staff, like Kevin Gossman. I think, yeah, I'm a huge Gossman guy this year. I actually have him. He's like fifth or sixth overall starting pitcher for me um, in my early rankings. And I think that even that just that that helps every single Toronto pitcher. Just having not only that upgrade from Guriel to Varsho, but also having Kevin Kiermeyer um, in center for at least you know whatever half the season that Kiermeyer is healthy. I think that's a huge benefit for uh, Toronto pitchers. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You know, we always look for the fantasy angle and things with the hitting when you know hitters get changed over. But these teams aren't stupid. They are obviously making moves for more than just the bat in the lineup because they already had plenty of bats in that lineup. And you see, like you mentioned, the Kiermaier thing was obviously a defensive move. He's not there to break the to break the you know Tony <laughs> Gwynn or you know Ted Williams hitting machine records. Um, so yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, bolster that up there. You got these young pitchers, Manoa, who likes to give up the fly ball from time to time. So get some guys that can cover some space in that outfield and see where things can go. All right, let's head to a fun one. This one, I know you're a fan of Gene Segura. I'm a fan of Gene Segura. He goes to Miami, signs a two-year deal. So this is like like they really wanted him. It wasn't just hey, one year, maybe we'll trade you. It's a two-year deal. And this is a guy we know he was having a great year until he got hurt last year. He's got power. He's got speed. He's going to hit towards the top of that lineup next to Jazzy Jazz. Uh, it's it's going to be a beautiful thing. And uh, he's gone as high as 206 since December 1st, ADP of 234. I already liked his value before he signed anywhere because I knew he'd sign eventually. He hasn't even jumped that much yet because maybe people think Miami is just, you know bad ballpark whatever. It can't hurt. I'll tell you that much. It's a nice fallback plan for at least MI if you need it. Yeah, it's not bad. He he becomes one of those. I mean, one of our one of our mantras here is you know players on bad teams racking up plate appearances. That's definitely Gene Segura right now. I mean, I think he's going to lead off or hit second or whatever. He's gonna he's gonna rack up those plate appearances, play every day. I think 
Also super important in this move is I, I think he's going to pick up third base eligibility pretty early in the season. It sounds like Miami's going to play him at third base, and that just helps. I mean, you you guys just did the third base preview uh, with Toby, and I think that just helps stabilize that position a little bit more as well to get Gene Segura 2B, 3B, corner, middle. That's tremendous. With that five category, I, I say five, like modest five category, but you know, if you get like a 15-15 guy, we're projecting him to hit 270 that late in the draft where he can play everywhere. Like, that's awesome. And, you know, not the flashiest name, but that's that's the guy who I want to compile plate appearances in the 17th round, which is where he's going um, yep. roughly in drafts. 100%. percent's a great, great spot for him. Uh, another one here, Corey Kluber goes and signs at the Boston Red Sox. I saw a funny tweet that like Kluber wants to retire after he pitches on every AL East team, which he's on his <laughs> way to doing, which is I didn't think about it when it, it happened. Like, That's right. Boston, New York, Tampa Bay. He's go through the rotation. He's Baltimore. he's had his little Baltimore. Yeah, he's he's had a little bit of everything. Baltimore, he'd probably love with the new fences in right uh, left field. But um the thing with Klubot, not the strikeout guy he once was. We know this. Ratios last year weren't ideal, but usually a, like an okay ratio guy, you would think. But he's going to get you innings. It's what, uh, you know, Boston, a few weeks ago, we didn't know what they were doing. We have a few things coming up where they kind of figured things out a little bit. But um, it seems like, you know, they've made the Michael Walker moves. They've done some of those moves. It feels like kind of one of those, let's get a veteran guy. He's going to throw us maybe five or six innings, fill a day in the rotation, go from there. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with most of what you said. The innings, like, I, I don't know. The innings kind of came out of the blue last year for Kluber. So, like, he had... I think 164 innings in 2022. Yep. Um, 80 innings in 2021. Didn't even pitch in 2019. Yeah, CJ. Yeah, I think he had. Uh, no, he had a some crazy shoulder issue and a frac in 2019 a fractured ulna. I don't even know what an ulna is, but I guess that's your forearm. <laughs> I should probably know this. Yeah, uh, your ulnar in your in your in your arm. Yes, it's in it's in the front part of your forearm. There's two bones right there. Ulna, U L N A. We should have like Derek Rose or something on there. You the go pod and explain it better. I I will not pretend to be a doctor, but yes, he missed a ton of time, and it all kind of came together last year for 164 innings. Um, age 38 or age 37, sorry, season for Gluber coming up. Like, I don't, I don't know if a return to 160 innings is in the bank, but we'll see. I mean, he did, he did it last year. The interesting thing, Bubba, you mentioned like Kluber's not the strikeout guy. He basically reinvented himself last season. He ditched his four seamer, basically ditched his changeup and threw the cutter as his primary pitch through the cutter 35% of the time. And the interesting thing, what happened with that change in pitch mix is Kluber was like a control artist, a 30% ball rate, which is what I look at to validate improvements in, in control. Um, it's what we look at at HQ and that totally backs up the elite 3% walk rate that Corey Kluber had last season. And the swinging strike was up near like 12% really wasn't that bad um that would actually signify that a 20 percent k rate should go up a little if anything next season so i think on a per inning basis like Corey kluber is not a bad buy and i think he's going outside the top I just looked. it's 442 is his adp is not as high as 393 that's yeah. i mean that's that's not free but that's really cheap and well, let's, let's have some fun with it he's going right in front of cole Irvin. 
he's going. <laughs> uh, the other starters close to him, Kyle Muller, uh, Tariq Skubal, Drew Smiley, who I don't mind Drew Smiley. Um, he's going slightly in front of Herman Marquez. So he does kind of stand out in that realm. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Corey Kluber, I'd take him easily over those other guys you mentioned. One of the things I've got in my draft sheet this year I've added to my sheet is I looked at percentiles for specs, which friend of the show, our yes. mutual friend, Carlos Marcano. Such, um, a that's great, his such a great stat and a great guy. Like stat is amazing. Absolutely. Um, and I've also incorporated Eno Saris's stuff plus percentiles to each of those. And Corey Kluber, 78th percentile per specs and 70th percentile per stuff plus for someone going outside the top 400 like that just screams by and Kluber is going to get as much run as possible in that Boston rotation. So I love the move. Hey, as they say, C's get degrees. So Corey Kluber to be getting you through right there. So the 70th percentile we're doing. How, doing how would you know that you didn't go to college? <laughs> That's right. You? Sorry. Sorry. Ben told me, Ben told uh, me C's okay, get degrees. Okay. Um, that all right. Sense, let's, let's talk giants baseball. Why not? Why not? Let's, it's been yeah. a couple of weeks since you got to have fun with me talking Giants baseball. So let's just do it. First things first, you know, we couldn't get a medical to clear for Correa. So let's get Michael Conforto on the roster who didn't play all last season because his medicals pretty much wouldn't clear apparently, but um, going to play for the Giants. You know, there's a little bit of power in that bat. We haven't seen it in a couple of years, but for a while, there's a lot of power. Usually a de- decent bag and average great OBP skills is what the Giants love. They love the OBP skills. Um, a year removed, supposedly healthy. They obviously he did pass his physical, so there got to be something there. Didn't have to break the bank for him, which was nice. Um, so Giants, it, it's getting to be crowded outfield. They got Mitch Haniger, you got, um, you got Yastrzemski already. Like Lamont Wade's going to be kind of pushed out. Austin Slater's kind of getting pushed out. Um, Luis Gonzalez, who actually was valuable at times last year, he's getting pushed out. So it looks like the Conforto uh, Yaz. Hanniger situation for now, unless and because Jock's going to DH, you'd imagine. Yeah, so, I was going to say Peterson, but yeah, he's probably going to DH. He's going to DH. That's why I don't even think of him. So it's uh, an interesting move for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'll probably throw this more back to you as the Giants guy. Like I, I mean, first off, like I love we I loved Michael Conforto before the shoulder injury. Like we yep. put an upside of thirty home runs on him in the forecaster last year before. Obviously, we knew what was going on. We just have no idea how serious the shoulder thing was. It was a lot more serious than anyone thought last season. That's why he didn't sign anywhere. Did it, you know, with that additional year, did that fully heal up? You mentioned, Bubba, that the price was very palatable. That's maybe not a good thing. Um, (laughs) Maybe that's why he got scooped up for so cheap. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. And, I mean, does he platoon, too? Like, if you just, I don't know, you kind of add up all that risk plus playing time risk. I don't. I don't know. I'm not that enthusiastic. Well, you know what's the word? This is the, the the narcissist in me, I guess, or the negative Nancy in me. This happened like a day or two after they lost out of Cray. It felt like almost like, oh, let's spend some money now because we got it. When you already have Jock, like I said, you already had Yaz. You just you already got Hanniger. Wade and Gonzalez and Slater were fine to platoon in the other positions. Like you had that wasn't the hole that you needed to fill per se. So that kind of felt a little odd. Um, I don't know who we platoon with. He's not platooning with Hanniger, so maybe he platoons right. with Austin Slater. Slater gets to face the the lefties, even though Slater kind of platooned with Yaz. So that's confusing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really don't. Um, it's a shoulder in- issue, and we know power takes a while to come back with shoulder issues. So that's super concerning, like super, super concerning, especially because last year, like you said, he couldn't find a job. He could not find a job. No team would be like, nope, we're good. 
we're taking you. So I'd hope a year off makes him healthy. He passes physical. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's a tough one. It felt it felt almost like a forced transaction at the time, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, what we'll to wait and see if he's if he's anywhere near the Conforto of old. I'm going to be over the moon for this. But the way the Giants' offseason has gone, I'm not planning on it. Let's put it that way. So it's interesting. We were just talking about. I was looking this up while you were talking because I've got the ADP as well. Ten picks difference to between uh, Conforto and who we just talked about, Lourdes Gurriel, going like 225. Gurriel's going 225, which will probably go down because now he's in Arizona. So those prices might be the exact same. Conforto's like 235. I think I'd lean Gurriel. He, I think he's at more stable but, playing time. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And you yeah. quote him, you think he's healthier. At least you know he's kind of healthier. He had the surgery to clean it up, and yeah. Arizona traded for him. So Exactly. What'll be fun is Conforto in Scottsdale, where the ball flies in the spring training. We'll probably hit like six jacks That's in the first like two weeks. Yeah. And everyone's going to go over the moon and forget he goes back to AT&T Park in a few weeks after that. And <laughs> ask Brandon Belt how that goes. So, um, yeah, it's, just, it's a bad ballpark for lefties, too. It's a, it's an all over the moon type situation. So we'll see. Like the price is right. I'll say that much in drafts. The price is right. I'd rather have you a if you have to pick one of the lefties out there. Mm-hmm. And Jock's price isn't bad either. And Jock will play. Jock even played versus lefties a lot last year, too. So they're not afraid to do that. And they brought him back on a God knows why they gave him the qualifying offer. I don't understand that, but they did. <laughs> Yeah. You sound so thrilled with the, the way the offseason's going. The front office, man. We had all the money in the world to spend, and this is what happened. It's like I told you, we haven't talked about the Giants. Let's just have fun. The, the podcast was going so great, Ryan. It was going so great, and we had to go back here. Let's talk about the next move. Taylor you put these on the outline, man. I know. It's because I'm a man of the people. I, I'm not going to just hide what happens in real life for my you know, sanity. Um, Taylor Rogers signs with the Giants. Lefty reliever who a lot of us were all over in draft season last year as a potential closer. Got the job done in uh, San Diego before he got traded to Milwaukee. That didn't go so well. Um, so he became a free agent. He's closed for times in the past in Minnesota. Obviously had San Diego, like I said. His twin brother, Tyler, is on the squad. He's a su- submarine beast. And then you got Camilio Duvall there, who should still be the main man, from what I'm hearing. Like I'd, It feels like back in the day when it was Jake McGee was there and stuff, you're going to get like 70% Duvall, maybe a little more. Jake will clean up some other stuff, but it's still Duvall's role. I'm pretty confident in that situation. But having Taylor there is a nice uh, nice plus for sure. That's what I'm most curious about and that I don't really have the answer to is what the, yeah, what that closure, what that save split looks like in San Francisco and how how are they going to play it? Is it going to be strictly like lefty-righty? Is it going to be something else? Um, yeah, so I mean the one thing I'll say with Taylor Rogers, like you mentioned how things kind of fell apart at the end of the season, most of that was bad luck. Um, Taylor Rogers actually had more strikeouts in the second half than the first half, a 32% K rate. Um, Taylor Rogers had an 18% homer to fly ball rate in the second half, which is ex- extremely unlucky. And then you tack on a like a 380 BABIP, a low left on base rate. Like that, that's the trifecta of pitching luck metrics, I like to call them. And they all swung the wrong way for Taylor Rogers. The skills were not that far off in the second half than the first half. I see Taylor Rogers as like a, I don't know, low to mid threes ERA type of guy, which will definitely work if he can get enough saves. It's just that's that's the question is what that split yeah. looks like with him and Duvall. I think he's a very, very good draft and hold candidate right now. If you got him in drafts, because he will stumble into some successful weeks for you. Um, season long mm-hmm. fab leagues, a little trickier. <laughs> 
little trick here, I'll say that much. But definitely something to be keeping an eye on there. Wade Miley, the Brewers. It's a good uh, innings eating situation. He pitched good for like he, he always has runs of good pitching. Like he's viable from time to time. Nothing flashy. Will light your pocketbook on file fire from time to time as well. But more often than not, he's just like a boring quality starts almost type guy. It's not pretty. Lot like it is what it is. But you made a good point on something that it might affect, which really makes me unhappy because I have a lot of shares of this person in draft and hold leagues so far. Yeah, like my biggest thing with the first, I mean, the second I saw Wade Miley of the Brewers, I was like, oh no, because what's going to happen to Aaron Ashby? I, I like Aaron. I, I mean, Aaron Ashby has the ground ball and strikeout combination of very few pitchers on this planet. There are issues with him going deep into games and and, and with control a little bit. Um, but Aaron Ashby has a immense ceiling and it looks like right now he's the sixth starter in Milwaukee, which you can kind of take, you can flip that two different ways. You could say, okay, he's out of a job and you know, I'm not going to draft him anymore. But as we know, injuries happen, six starters for pitchers on opening day. The best way to learn a language immersion living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. I don't want to say very quickly, but they will be in the rotation at some point during the season. So the flip side of that argument is like, okay, everyone's talking about Aaron Ashby doesn't have a have a job in the rotation is that price going to be even better than what it was i think mike curlin put out a pretty good video about that um a couple days ago talking about that so i'm still i I mean i don't know wade miley is who he is like you're not going to get many strikeouts he's been lucky to have a low three zra the last two seasons i'm not that excited about him um, it's just what what are the Brewers' plans for Aaron Ashby? Like, is he truly going to be their sixth starter, or are they moving him more to like a Garrett Whitlock type role, kind of a deal where they're going like he's going like three innings? I don't know a lot a lot up in the air with that, but that's something that's that's by far the biggest kind of trickle effect of this move is Ashby. And some things like we know what the Brewers mentioned sixth man in the rotation will get love. How many innings is Freddie Peralta going to do after bounce after the injury yeah. situation last year? That's a question. They've had that issue with a few pitchers. Um, the other thing is, is maybe they start Ashby to limit his innings in the pen, and then all of a sudden Miley's the long man in the pen. Wouldn't be shocked that happens either. We've seen that same situation happen with the uh, similar to Whitlock and other guys like that. Like we've seen that play out where a month or two in, all of a sudden flip, and now it's Ashby's role for three to four months. Yeah, all very doable. And if that's the case, he's still worth probably drafting and stashing because he is that good. So. Um, I'm not afraid of it yet. It definitely puts a little, you know, bump in the road. But 
until we hear something definitely more fin- definitive, which I still don't trust at this time of the year because a lot can change. Yeah. Uh, Ashby's still the dude for all things considered. Tuck him away for sure. Yep. All right. Cincinnati made a big move when it comes to fantasy. That's Will Myers. Yes, I'm not I'm not joking either. Will Myers going to Cincy is one of the best things you could think of for fantasy baseball because yeah. one thing is for sure, I even wrote about him on Gaining the Edge as a, uh, my late round first base targets and draft and holds. Big Willie style is going with an <laughs> ADP of 377, as high as 252. So he's climbing up a little bit here. But Will Myers still has power. I don't care how old he is. He's got to stay healthy. That's his biggest issue is health. Still has power. Will play very well in Great American Small Park, of course. And he still runs. He's not like the 20 stolen base guy, but he'll still get you double digit bags. I've seen some people say he should platoon. We'll see. Um, TJ Friedel or Friedel is projected to lead off. Jake Fraley farther down the lineup. Uh, if you're doing draft and holds, TJ, is it Friedel or Friedel? I, I don't even know. Friedel, I think. Friedel. Thank you. I, I did not I, watch many Reds games. Don't. Uh, no, I just played him in DFS because he was that. always cheap. But yeah. if he does lead off, he's his ADP is way down compared to Jake Fraley. Everybody remembers the Fraley run they had. He's kind of getting bumped down the lineup right now. So what's your thoughts on this move? Because I am in love with Will Myers being there. First base outfit eligible. As long as he is the man to play, which he should be, this is awesome. I mean, Cincinnati's the spot to be if you are kind of like a marginal player or have platoon issues or whatever. Like, I think I think Will Myers is going to play every day and he's going to be in a great lineup. Uh, or, sorry, in a great park, not a great lineup, a great park. <laughs> uh, Freudian slip there. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, I could absolutely see him being this year's Brandon Drury with steals, mm-hmm. and that would be fantastic. Um, I think everything is in place for that. We don't really know what Myers has been able to do in recent years. Yes, some injuries, but a lot of platoon on good teams. So he hasn't been getting that everyday playing time. I think that opens up for him in Cincinnati. So I love it. And I know, yeah, you were a huge fan of it. Um, We'll see if the market catches up with that movement, but it's an awesome move for Will Myers. He just needs to play and run. They're starting to, like I said, his ADP, he's got as high as 273. That's a big bump from what it was. But even at that price in this situation, yep. I'm not offended like it. by it at all. Like it's still very, very appealing, all things considered. Uh, what isn't appealing for some people is Eric Cosmer, especially when he goes to Chicago Cubs. Um, we know who Osmer is. I hit 70, no, 90% ground balls, and I walk a lot. And every once in a while, I hit a home run, so you think I'm still good. And he, he's got the personality to be in Wrigley. I'll say that much. He's going to love Wrigleyville. Has almost like a Mark Grace vibe to him, I think. I really could see that one coming out. But the question I have for you, and Mike Curlin disagrees with me. So I'm, I'm, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Um, what does this do for Matt Mervis? Yeah, I was thinking about this. The prevailing wisdom, I guess, says that he'll move to DH. But I don't. If I'm Chicago, why would I put him at DH and not let him flourish as a first baseman? Like at that age, mm-hmm. I wonder if he starts the year in the minors and stays at first base. I I I don't know. Um, it would just it's just a weird move to have one of your top prospects instantly go to DH and be there for his I don't want to say career, but for his rookie season. Unless his defense is just terrible, and I I don't know if that's the case or not, but um i mean from a redraft value that that's his path to value is you're hoping that they just move him to dh which again 
I don't know. Doesn't really make sense from a from a baseball standpoint to Especially me. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I do. I think it hurts him a lot because if you hired a veteran, if you signed a veteran like Hosmer, you're expecting him to play for space. He plays good defense, like good defense. So that's what you wanted from Hosmer. Yeah. So it moves Mervis to DH, who he will platoon with Patrick Wisdom at DH. So yeah, it's platoon, not even. A, yeah, yeah. It's that not would even make a it straight. Even worse. Yeah, it's not even a straight job. It made no sense when I saw it. I was like. The Cubs, who basically traded away their franchise, now they're going to slow their franchise's growth down. <laughs> just made no. I guess it makes all the sense if you think about it that way. It makes all the sense. I mean, but, H- Hosmer is a better. I mean, you you alluded to like the walk rate and that sort of. Hosmer is well, serviceable. A, yeah, he's and he's a better real life player than yes. than fantasy. And we 100%. all talk about the ground balls or whatever. Like he's had over a three thirty on base. I think each of the last three years. Yeah. Um, he's not bad. And you talked about the defense too, but. Yeah, it's just a weird move when you have that option with Mervis. And I don't know, they brought in like Bellinger, which kind of took, yep. crowded that outfield to take Merv- any possibility of Mervis playing outfield away as well. Yep. So like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just some weird moves. Weird moves. Uh, one that I like quite a bit, actually, going back to the desert here with our last two, Evan Longoria, signed for the D-backs, <laughs> was rumored for a while. Uh, the one thing with Longo, and you, you've probably seen it on Bloom Boards of yours, Win healthy, which has been a big win. 89 games, 81 games his last two seasons. Uh, prior to that, was actually pretty decent health-wise for the most part. He hits the ball hard still. His quality of contact's outstanding. He hits for a decent average. He hits for some power. Like, when healthy, even though he's going to be 37 now, he's still offensively talented for a fantasy perspective. It's the health part. So going to the desert there, what's your thoughts on this one? Um. It's, I mean, it's still hard to draft Evan Longoria just because of the injury. I mean, I, we, we had talked a lot last year as, you know, if we wanted to wait, and this was one of my downfalls last year, wait on third base and you can get a cheap Evan Longoria and Mike Moustakis. And that I fell on my face with that. But you're right. I mean, despite the injuries, the quality of contact is very good for Evan Longoria. And I think as long as he's healthy, he's going to play. In Arizona, I mean that infield isn't all that great, so um, I like the move for him, but because it at least just gives him a chance at playing time. Would I draft him in like a um, a league with like in a kind of gladiators are over? But I don't think I'd take him there, and you just don't get the volume. And I don't know, you're probably taking him like 40th round or something in drafting holds. I don't think you take him in a bad league. ADP of 567. Yeah. Yeah, which at that price in the draft and hold makes I'm sense. In. I'm in. But in a fab league, I, I think if oh, he's on the waiver wire, he's, yeah, he's waiver wire fodder. Last I wonder, though, like yeah. what I mean, Josh Rojas is the one that's because we talk about like, you know, the move itself, but then the fallout of that move. Like it's just another obstacle for Rojas. I don't. Yeah, right now, I know. right now, roster resource has Rojas at third base, has Longoria DHing. But then you still have like Emmanuel Rivera, who played third base a lot last year. There's still yeah, a lot of a lot of moving pieces. So we'll yep. wait and see. Last but not least in the desert, Zach Davies. Zach Davies <laughs> returns to Arizona, and um, again, nothing crazy flashy with Zach Davies, but another guy that'll, you know, he'll take the bump every fifth day for the most part, I guess. Yeah, that's a glowing. I thought you would have taken this one off the list. I, I probably should have there. deleted this one off the list. <laughs> um, no, I got nothing on this one, man. Like if you're if you're streaming Zach Davies in the middle of the season, hang it up. Yeah. <laughs> 
hang yeah. it up or, or, or just go middle first. reliever. <laughs> also, if you're a Diamondbacks fan, we just talked about their two biggest signings, which would be Evan Longoria and Zach Davies. So, maybe so you're saying the Giants well. offseason wasn't so bad. <laughs> Gotcha. Relatively, you've got the Rockies and, and the D-backs in that division. So you can always finish in third, probably. Yeah, well, we'll be good at that. We're good at uh, you know being the bridesmaid type situation. Nothing wrong with that at all. Thank you, Dodgers. All right. The moment everyone has been waiting for in 2023, since it's the first episode of 2023, Bloom Board season. And if you pay attention to Ryan, which you should, obviously, on Twitter at RyanBHQ, he has been tweeting Bloom Boards all week. So it's been glorious to see. Uh, they are back in action, full of color, full of names that make you go, hmm. That's the point of Bloom Boards, to dig in more as we talk about. I'll let Ryan give this, his whole introduction as well. But we got a fun one here, Ryan. So talk about your boards and describe what we're looking at tonight. It's, yeah, it's it's the it's the time. It's So I started it last year right around New Year's and did it started this week as well. So the plan for Bloom Boards is to put out one every weekday through probably, I don't know, early, mid-March, something like that, uh, starting this week. So I've done a couple. I actually recycled a couple um, from our live show at First Pitch where we did this strikeout minus walk gainers and faders from first half to second half. I think we talked about the gainers in that one um, at at our live show at First Pitch. So those are out there. But the one I want to talk about uh, for this episode is one that I put out on Wednesday and the concept of this is batters who have underperformed in 2022 from a power standpoint compared to their own baseline. So we've got research at HQ and, and pretty much everywhere has kind of proven this, that a hitter establishes his own baseline of power over like a three-year period-ish. You can debate the, the length of it, but whatever. Over a few seasons, you have a kind of a baseline. And in any given one season, if there is deviation from that, the following season, they tend to go back to where they were. And so what I looked at with this board was homer to fly ball rate, which is a tried and true measure for power. I looked at hitters whose homer to fly ball rate fell the most in 2022 compared to what it was from 2019 through 2021. And then on top of that, I added that hitter's barrel rate from 2022 as well, just to kind of give a little bit more context into that. Like, was that hitter hitting the ball hard and just not getting credit for it? Or was there, in like Lord Scoriel's case, a complete collapse of power and they deserved it a little bit more? Um, so that's the the general premise. And with all of these lists, like you just mentioned, Bubba, like it's the start of a conversation. This is not like all 12 of these guys are not going to improve next season. But we can hopefully kind of look through this list, pick and choose a few guys when we take context into account um, to kind of target as a rebound candidate uh, for power for next year. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's some that really, really stand out for the good and some for the bad. Um, we'll hop around here as we got some time to uh, to kind of break this one down here. Nelson Cruz might not even play this year. So I don't even know if we want to talk about Nelly, but um, for years now it's been, okay, he's getting old. It's going to happen. He's getting old. It's going to happen. It didn't happen until last season when he dropped down from a normal 28% home run to fly ball to an 11%. It dropped down pretty, pretty good. Obviously, he's not signed anywhere yet, but he hasn't officially said he's retiring either. So the door is always open in a world where there's 30 DHs in baseball. So any thoughts on uh, Will Nelly? 
I mean, once you were, I love these nicknames you're coming up with tonight. You can listen to quick hits. I have so many of them when I'm like half asleep in the morning. I just start going crazy. Big Willie style for for Will Myers. Um, Just thinking, like, why didn't the Cubs take Nelson Cruz? He would be a great Mervis with Mervis. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Not not to rehash that one. Uh, But yes, Nelson Cruz was the biggest faller. Nelson Cruz had a 28% elite. 28% 28% homer to fly ball rate from 2019 through 21. And that dropped to 11% last year. The good news is the barrel rate was pretty good. 9.3%. The good news maybe is he apparently couldn't see that well and had like eye surgery or something to correct that this year. So if he does sign with the team, that could be, um, you know, another kind of contextual factor for a rebound, I just think the age is a killer, man. Like at some point he's got to fall off a cliff and we started to see no pun intended started to see that last year with Nelson Cruz. So I'm not too high on a rebound from Cruz unless he, you know, signed in some great park, you know, Colorado probably needs a DH. He could sign there or something, but even though Cruz is kind of the biggest fader and thus the most likely to regress, um, given the age, I'm, I'm pretty low on that. Yeah, I'm with you. Just stood out in a big, big way as uh, the, the mighty finally fell. Uh, let's talk about – I'm going to hop around here. Garrett Cooper. This is a guy I've always loved for fantasy. It's been a headache at times. Um, last year was a major headache because, you know, the years before that, it was just, you know, staying healthy and playing. Last year he was banged up a bit, but he still played in 119 games most of his career. Only had nine home runs. He showed much better home run skills than that. Hit for a 261 average, which is fine, but – you know, you highlighted a 23% home run to fly ball in um, the previous three seasons, down to a 10% this last year. And I kind of highlighted that in the same article I had with Will Myers. He's another guy, Garrett Cooper, I like later in rounds because if you look at his, like, skill set, his max EV of 112.6 is third best of his career. His barrel rate was above 10% again for the third straight season. Hard hit rate wasn't horrible, 43.3, which is pretty much in line with his norm outside of an outlier of 2021, you can say. Like, so his, his quality of contact skills were good. I know Toby loves to use the home runs per barrels. He had nine home runs on 32 barrels, which is well below the league average that we look to go for. So it stood out when I looked into him quite a bit. And then he shows up on this list here again, which shows a lot. And a lot of it is that home run to fly ball. And uh, one other thing I'll mention, I, I dug into him. So I actually can talk for a second here. Yeah, um, yeah, go for it, man. This and um, he had a, where's the freaking, no, of course, I'm not be able to find it. I know his, oh, there it is. His ground ball rate and his fly ball rate. This is what's most confusing to me. So his ground ball rate was the lowest of his career. I don't count 2007. His lowest as a Marlin at 44.3. And his fly ball was 29.3. So he had the most fly balls of his career percentage-wise. Lowest ground ball rate. Yet his home run to fly ball, which is over 22% for three straight seasons, average of 23, as you mentioned, was down to 10.2. Something just, I don't know. This is one of those kind of outlier things to me. Like something does not seem right when every other skill set was in line, if not better, and everything in his career, but somehow he's just not hitting home runs. And you can't say the ballpark because he's been in that ballpark his entire career. So exactly. it was a big standout to me, and that's why I'm buying into him again for the fact he played more than he has played in the past. He's a good hitter. He's a really good hitter. So I love him as a bounce back. Now that I've talked too much, what do you got on this? Oh, I do too. I mean, I think the big thing with Cooper, I mean, so you nailed it. Like you look at these underlying metrics and these indicators and everything looked good except the result. Like that just screams to me that he's going to improve from a power standpoint. Um, the one thing you didn't touch on, which I'll throw out there is he's also a pretty, pretty good line drive uh, hitter. Line drive rates always been 
above average. Thus, his BABIP has always been above average. Thus, his batting average has always been pretty good. He's been Garrett Cooper's been a 280 hitter um, through 20 from 2019 through 21, and that dropped as well. So, um, rebound potential is fantastic. We just talked about Gene Segura in that lineup playing every day. Like, I think as long as Garrett, I mean, so health is an issue. That's probably the elephant in the room here, but like, the dude needs to play. Um, last year's 469 plate appearances were the most of his career. But yes, Garrett Cooper, I'm sure he's going extremely cheap. If you need like a yeah, 430. 430, yep, yeah. 430 ADP. Right next to if, Big Willie style. <laughs> what's what's G Coops? What's G Coops' nickname? Man? G, G Coop. G Coop uh, will do that. Um, I love hang, it. Hang, no, hang, I love with, it. Hanging with G Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> that's bad man that's bad i got all the dad jokes and dumb things you can think of i got them all my friend oh my god well hopefully uh hopefully garrett cooper's rebound falls better than that 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 nickname but no i do i i think garrett cooper's a fine add that late in drafting holds like everything looks you've you've got the skills and you've got the baseline um to rebound too and so that combination is fantastic 100 percent uh, one I know that you're a fan of because uh, you had some interactions with this tweet with people on the Twitter. It's Jose Abreu. And we've talked about him before yeah. already going to, to Houston and probably like three hot stove episodes ago and a few other things. We're fans of it. Uh, there's been great points that he's a spray hitter. He's not just a pool hitter. So the Crawford boxes are an issue. We, and we addressed that. We said that's a thing. Um, we also said that Houston has proven in the past that they can make some of these hitters make swing adjustments to enjoy the Crawford boxes. And I think a Bray is a good enough hitter to do that. We'll see. Uh, what's your thoughts on this though? Cause he went from a 22% home run to fly ball over the three seasons to 10% last year, but still barreled the ball nine and a half, almost a similar situation to Cooper, all things considered. So how do you look at a Jose Abreu, especially going to a better, I guess lineup could be the word. Cause you know, Chicago's not horrible. No, well they were, they're not horrible, but they were pretty banged up last year. Like True. Eloy missed a ton of time. Tim Anderson missed a ton of time. Like that lineup was not that lineup was better from a name recognition standpoint than I think they actually were. So I think it's a pretty actually a pretty big um, upgrade in terms of lineup. I think in the tweet I put Park um, as a reason why I like Abreu one of the most to uh, to rebound. And you're right, like I that may have been a little bit off just because the ground ball rate and the spray approach for Jose Abreu, but I mean, even just take this man, like simple math where you've got Abreu with 22% as his baseline that dropped to 10%. So let's just double 10% up to 20. That's, you know, that's what he's been. You double that Homer to fly ball rate last year. Jose Abreu goes from 15 home runs to 30 home runs. That batting average, that's 15 more hits that were outs as well, because Fly balls that are not home runs or outs. That batting average from 304 probably goes up to like 310, 315. 310, 315 hitter with 30 home runs now going to Houston. That's, like that's, and that's huge, 15 man. more runs scored and God knows how many more RBIs. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, just just from looking at that alone, like if Jose Ubreu just produced from a power aspect and not even taking into account the spray, this is just on fly balls. Um, you're there and you've got a, a pretty damn good first baseman. So yeah. um yeah, I'm I'm all aboard the Abreu train. Yeah, and he's ninety five eighty P right behind Vinny P the Italian breakfast at ninety three. Yeah. Um that's a fun debate that's already yes. happening. I think should continue to happen. Do you take the rookie with 
you know, all these great contact skills and everything, or do you go with the veteran who should improve from a down season? Like, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, yeah, there's smart people, a lot of smart people that would take like, Vinny P yep. in that, but I'm, I'm going to Brave. I'm with quickly. you too. I'm, a, I'm more of a cautious drafter. It's always my problem. That's why it'll be fun when we do the listener question because I haven't been as cautious in this draft. So we'll see how it works. But yeah, Vinny P is a tough one for me. And I know what Brave is sitting right there. It's very, mm-hmm. very tricky for me. Uh, let's do another fun one here. Everyone's favorite. Let's go Jesse Winker on this one. Let's talk a little Jesse Winker, who we all know the issues. He had apparently clubhouse issues, which is weird because we talked about we never heard him anywhere else, just in Seattle. So that was a little odd, but uh, just a down, down season for Jesse Winker um, where he hit 14 home runs, hit 219, still walked 15.4% of the time, best of his career actually, which was big, but his home run to fly ball, went from 24% to 10%. And we knew Seattle was not a great ballpark for him to go to. That was very obvious. But, you know, the barrel rate dropped. The hard hit rate dropped. Those are, those are standout things. But he still – he had more fly balls at, than any time in his career. But he also had an over 17% infield fly ball rate. That is insanity. <laughs> that good. That's like really he's, bad. He's, it's like it was 9.5 in 2021, and then it was 6.7 and below. 17.4%. Home run or infield fly ball rate is insanely horrible. So that's just that's almost simple. Like if he can just get back to even nine percent, <laughs> like and convert some of those to maybe line drives or or actual like home runs. Because I don't improve his barrel rate. So those are obviously not barrel balls. No, he might not be that far off. But and going to Milwaukee can't hurt either. Can't hurt. It's an improvement from Seattle. The one thing that I'll kind of throw out here is I do think Winker's that that baseline, that 24% homer to fly baseline that we're comparing to, I think that's pretty heavily inflated by Cincinnati. Cincinnati is by far the best park to hit in for homers for left-handed pitching. And I don't think Jesse Winker's true power is at that 24. I think it's more like a high teens, something like that when you take into account uh, Milwaukee. So like, yes, the park factor going down to Seattle and maybe just him in Seattle wasn't a great fit and he needs a fresh start and yada, yada. Um, I'm not as, and Winker got a lot of attention on the replies to this board as well. I'm just not there with him yet. I, I think the, I think the, platoon risk is real he's got a 661 career ops against lefties and i don't think that 2021 season where winker hit 24 home runs um and 423 at bats i don't think that's coming back yeah i don't fault you there i I think he improves obviously from seattle but yeah i think the biggest the biggest concern is that platoon i think that's a real deal as you mentioned and that's going to definitely hamper some things well, let's talk Ian Happ. This is a guy I've been looking at in drafts quite a bit. Coming off a 17 home run, nine stolen base season last year, 25 bombs the year before. We hit 271 this last year, which is big for Happ. Um, home run fly ball went from an, an average of 25% to 12%. But you saw a lot of skills, like his barrel rate dropped, but his, his max EV was the best of his career since well, at least 2017. His hard hit rate was still very, very good. He just um, wasn't barreling the ball like he used to. Uh, ground balls was pretty much in line. A lot of the stuff was in line with what you saw in the past. Just the uh, the home run of fly ball butchered it quite a bit, and you probably have a few more things on this, but the overall skills I like a lot from Ian Happ, and I think we could maybe maybe see some improvements here. So what do you like on him? Um, yeah, just, I don't know. This is almost like a change in approach that we could, saw could from be. Ian Happ. Could be. Yeah, like the, I mean, the, the he, Ian Happ was always kind of a power hitter with low batting averages. Ian Happ hit... 
264 in 2019, which was the heavy fun ball year, hit 226 in 2021. Uh, career high hit 271 last year. He just he had more emphasis on being aggressive and just making more contact last season. And I I wonder if that affected Ian Happ's power, uh, where the barrel rate was pretty much cut in half from 2021. Yes, the K rate was down, but he drew f- fewer walks. I think he was just a lot more aggressive at the plate. Maybe I don't know if that's intentional or not or whatever. Um, but the approach looks totally different to me than last year. And I think just in general, like these are the hardest guys to project the yeah. guys were like, you think, you know who they are. And then they change one year. Is that change going to stick in 2022? Is Ian Happ yeah. again, going to be a 270 hitter with the low counting stats, or is he going to go back to that like 250 and hit for more power? I don't have that answer. Which would you um, prefer? One of the either ones. Um, I would prefer the former. I want that power yeah. and speed. Um, Especially if he's if he's leading off with the Cubs, which he has been for the most part, that power uh, can really flourish. So I, I think I'd lean the former. The one thing I'll say with Hap, he's a trade candidate. He almost got traded last year. There's a good chance he goes bye bye at some point uh, later in the middle of the season. So yeah, that's a good point. keep an eye on him. A couple more that I want to hit on, unless you want to hit on anybody else. But I want to mention Christian Yelich. I think it's a fun one. We've kind of talked about him yeah. before, um, going from a 27 percent to a 15 percent. 8.2% barrel rate last year. But a couple of things that I noticed looking at his numbers, you know, 14 homers, 19 steals, 252. I think that's who we have to realize he is now because this past year he had that home run rate of four, a home run of five ball, 14.7, 13.2 the year before. Then he had three straight seasons over 30%, but then back to 15.3, 23.6. So I kind of looked at that 2015, 16, 17 years of the Marlins, and that's kind of cor- correlated with what he's doing now. Those are still a guy that hit, you know, 18 to 20 homers, stole nine to 16 bases and hit 280 plus. That's what you're seeing, at least this last year, when his back stayed healthy, played in 154 games. Assuming the back stays healthy, that's a big if. I think that's who he is. You have a smirk on your face. So why don't you tell me what you think about Christian Yelich? I think you're right, man. Look, the smirk on my face is is this is a really good learning experience and a flaw of this board. So Christian Yelich. And I have I've got this on the board that what was this homer to fly? You've got it in front of you. It was twenty seven percent for three years. Okay. But it was fifteen percent last year. Okay, so twenty seven percent those three years. So we They're think that's all over thirty two percent for like a three year span. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where I'm getting at. So what I did with this board is looked at twenty nineteen through twenty one. Christian Yelich's homer to fly ball rate those three years thirty three percent in twenty nineteen, thirty two percent in twenty twenty, thirteen percent in twenty twenty one. So you can, this is, this is the problem with, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like these boards are not perfect and you know, you're never going to have some perfect metric or filter that captures everything. This is the problem with using these arbitrary endpoints. Like, yes, I could use those three seasons and say Christian Yelich's power has um, regressed in 2022 and, and then we'll go back up in 23 because he has a power baseline you could totally flip that. And that's kind of what you're doing, Bubba, especially when you're talking about the back problem. You could flip that on its on its head and say, hey, Christian Yelich over the last two seasons, 2021 and 2022, has a 13% homer to fly ball rate, and that's who he is. And I think that's the right answer here. I, I don't see Christian Yelich rebounding to anywhere near what he was. I think that that three-year number that I've got on there is taking too much into account the hitter he used to be. You know, at an ADP of almost 131, I like it. I'll be honest. If you can tell me I can get about 15-ish homers and maybe 15 to 20 steals and hit 270-plus 
top of the order, scoring over 100 runs. I'm interested. I'm interested in that because he's going around guys like Nick Castellanos, who I believe in a bounce back, but you know how much. Stephen Kwan, a lot of question marks there. Uh, Jake McCarthy, I know you're a Seiya Suzuki guy. Chris Bryant's there. Anthony Santander. All those guys have questions with them. Like there's a lot of plus when someone's got lots of questions. I think we know who Yelich is, obviously barring the back. That's obviously a big problem. Back problems are no joke. So that's that's the big question with him. But at least I think we know who he is. Where these other guys, there's a lot of questions on who they are. And, and top that Milwaukee guy. lineup's still good. It's still yep. not a bad lineup. Yep. So and he's I mean, and he's and he's runs. I mean, 19 stolen bases last year. Yeah. Like we're gonna need it. All right. Um, I have a few other guys, but I'll let you pick the last one if you like before we go to some listener questions. There's one. Yeah, we go for five. it. Who you got? Um, I'm just curious. On let's talk Josh Bell. I know we talk about Josh Bell a lot on a different a bunch of scenarios between the hot stove and just you know reviewing first base and all these things. We like the move to Cleveland, obviously, but you know 24% uh, home run to fly ball over three seasons, down to 12% last year, uh, 7.2% barrel rate. But, um, you know, the ground ball rate was pretty similar. Fly ball rate was pretty similar. Hard hit rate dropped a lot from last season, at least. Um, max EV was down a bit, still respectable max EV. So there's just a lot of questions with um, with Bell. What are you thinking when you see him? Because he's a guy that I know it's a great ballpark for lefties to go to. That's a big plus in Cleveland. But how are you assessing this Josh Bell one? Um, I think he's absolutely a rebound target. Like, so to take that Yelich example and take that three-year sample and look at each specific year for Homer to fly, Josh Bell as steady as ever: twenty-four percent, twenty-two percent, twenty-six percent, and then that tanked to twelve percent last season. Like, if you're if you're ignoring recency bias with him, I think he rebounds extremely well. He makes a ton of contact, just like everyone else in Cleveland, that better ballpark that you mentioned. I think everything's in place for um, kind of a, a big-time rebound for Bell. So yep. I'm pulling board it. with him. I love it. That's what's fun about these boards, like we always talk about. They're the opening to another discussion, another dig. Yeah. And yep. you find, we found like almost a different thing with almost each guy. To like yeah, that's at, the cool like, part is, yeah. yeah, you go into it, and it's like, ah, I actually don't like that guy. Or like, yes, I fully fully believe it so so um, it either either clarifies a concern or opens the door to even more things maybe or at least it like you know in the the yell situations like okay if we're kind of curious let's see where he's getting drafted what's going around him do we really want him there like it just opens up the whole getting ready for draft season where you want to go and build things and that to me is a pretty pretty fun thing as i i always talk about how much i like the bloom boards i know i'm not alone in that scenario but it's a great tool to uh, open those doors Last guy that I'll just quickly bring up just because I brought it up in the tweet was Ronald Acuna. Um, <laughs> we were both we're wrong about there. him last year. Is like, yeah, he's not going to run the knee, but the power will be there. Well, it was the exact opposite. He ran crazy and the power was not there. Ronald Acuna, if anyone on this list, had the highest barrel rate last year of uh, 13%. That actually matches his homer to fly, which is like crazy. That's insane. Um, That's insane. Ronald Acuna is due for a major power rebound. I would expect him not to worried go about right Ronald. back to who he was. Exactly. Yeah, not worried about him at all. And we'll get to that in a second, actually. Uh, not worried about him at all. Um, all right. Listener questions here. As um, you guys, you can tell, Ryan, like you said earlier. Starting to pick it's up. January. Pick up. It's slowly getting there. We've got our buddy Johnny L moving to MLB and moving averages. Yep. He's waking up. Football season's done. He's in the baseball mode. Early SP ADP toss-ups. Let me get my ADP on the SP world for you. To make this uh, appropriate. All right. The first one he has, Ryan, is Brady Singer versus Drew Rasmussen. Over the last month, Singer's got an ADP of 182. 
where Rasmussen is 177. So where do you look for Brady, Singer, and Drew Rasmussen? When I saw this question from John, I looked at my own. Um, so I think I mentioned this on a pod before, but for pitchers, I actually go through and for starting pitchers, I go through and project every innings, ERA, whip, strikeout rate, and wins. Like I go through each pitcher, look at pitch mix changes, baseline projections from the forecaster, and I actually manually project every single starting pitcher. That's why he's good, folks. It's funny because these two guys are almost identical. I've got Brady Singer and Drew Rasmussen each at 10 wins, an exact same 24% K rate, an exact same 115 whip, and a 10 point or point one difference in the ERA, 335 to three. Oh no, the exact same ERA. My bad. 335. <laughs> I have them for the exact same five stats. I have Singer a little bit higher because of the innings. That's the yep. only thing, but that is like nitpicking. That is me trying to project pitcher health, which is mm-hmm. nearly impossible. But when I saw this question from John, I was like, holy crap, does he see my spreadsheet? Because they are literally the same, down to the number of each of the five categories. So that's, that's wild. Funny. That's funny. I go Singer, and I, the one thing would be the innings for sure. I love the growth he had. I've always been a Singer fan, and it kind of took a little while for him to get going. And he really took that next step after that recent uh, trip to the minors last year and mm-hmm. kind of looked like the guy we expected him to be. Rasmussen's a beast. I got no problem there. Yeah. I, I always get nervous with these young guys in Tampa Bay and what they're going to do with them. I'm always – like, I'm, I'm all, I'd rather be wrong than right with them, it feels like, because I just – you never know. You never know unless there's like a, like the McClanahan's of the world, and we already talked about that issue. You got Glass now, who's hurt still or coming back from injury, and you got Jeffrey Springs, who we like. Like, there's so many question marks there. You don't know how what they're going to do. Maybe Raspin takes the McClanahan step. They just let him go. That yeah. that could be a thing. That could really be a thing. Um, and then I could be totally wrong, but I'm going to go Springer as well. Uh, the, the other one he has here is Patrick Sandoval and teammate Reed Detmers. Detmers at 209.8. Sandoval at 212.35, getting drafted right next to each other. Two lefties as well to make it a little more curious here. So what do you got on these two? It's it's hard to go against someone who had a 291 ERA last year, but I think that's what I'm going to do. I I just uh, – the walk rate with Patrick Sandoval kills me. The dude was – Irish panda. The, the Irish panda. I think that's a Nick Pollock. That's a Nick gem, Pollock. Because so that one makes sense, unlike mine. Because, yeah, because that that, that's a good one. That's not a, <laughs> that's not P. Sando or, or something. Uh, uh, I like your nicknames, by the way. Yeah, it's all good. I got. I heard you. Um, I heard you the first time. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go Detmers here. So Detmers actually appeared on one of the one of the boards this week for second half to first half. K minus walk rate gainers. And I, I mean, we've talked about Detmers a good amount, but that reshaped slider kind of drove those gains in the second half. And I just think, I think luck is going to, to neutralize as it should for every pitcher. But Patrick Sandoval was so lucky to get a 291 ERA. Um, yep. I don't think he can pitch, pitch nearly as deep in the games once, um, once the home run luck regresses once the babbit progresses and you're left with a guy who has kind of a middling strikeout rate with a pretty bad walk rate and that's not what you want so i'll go detmers over sandoval yeah i got detmers too like i'm a big irish panda fan but that walk rate and the home run rate are terrifying absolutely terrifying and i just can't do that i love the adjust- adjustments detmers made as you mentioned so i'm gonna, I'm gonna stick there it is gonna- funny like just real quick like 
in a little bit of a diatribe with Homer to fly ball rate. Uh, we just talked about that for for hitters and how it is kind of their own baseline for pitchers. It's really not. It goes by league average and it kind of just jumps from there. Sandoval is a perfect example of that. 32% Homer to fly ball rate short season 2020. So like pretty bad. Um, 16% Homer to fly ball rate in 2021. Again, pretty bad. So you kind of think that he's someone who gives up a lot of home runs. That's one completely the other way, 6% homer to fly ball rate in 2022. So it's just crazy how much that bounces around for pitchers. They must not have had Aaron Judge baseball. That explains it. And yeah, didn't, I mean, didn't, didn't, didn't make it that far, that far west. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Andy Splinter at Splinter Andy has two questions. We'll start with the one that uh, helps here. He wants to add on to the Singer versus Rasmussen and throw in John Gray, who has an ADP of 192, 10 picks after Singer. Does anything, does Gray jump in front for you at all? Because it does for me. I actually am a huge Gray guy. I, I loved what we saw last year, and I think he builds on that even more in this next season. So I'd take Gray over both of them personally. But what's your thoughts here? I would too. Um, I've got Gray ahead of both of those guys. Gray, 87th percentile in specs. Again, Carlos Macano, check that stuff out. Uh, really good scores there. I mean, the issue with John Gray is the health. Um, but Again, I don't think we can accurately predict most pitcher injuries of one over the other. So give me the guy on a per inning basis, and that's that's John Gray. Yep, for sure. And then his other question, this is the one that's going to be fun because you can pick my draft apart, but I'm trying something new here. He says, uh, Bubba, how are you feeling through forest rounds of the OTW on the wire listener league? Uh, we, we finished our fifth pick. I got the second pick overall right behind Kevin Hastings, of course. Um and I usually like to attack pitching, but without this being an overall, I'm taking a different approach because I like some of the later pitchers here. So we're getting some action. I went Acuna in the first round. Second round, I went Lindor. Third round, I went Rosarena. Fourth round, I went Chisholm. <laughs> Fifth round, I went Cedric Mullins. Holy so have, crap. So I have three outfielders, and I have all the speed you can handle. speed. Yeah, and so now I don't have to dress that pretty much anymore. And each guy technically supplies potentially 20-plus home runs. Mullins maybe not so much. But I got power outside of Jazz, decent batting averages. Like almost five-category guys on most of them, almost. So like four and a half out of a couple guys. Now, obviously, I do different things with pitching. But uh, <laughs> I went I went heavy hitters here. So we're going to see how this one plays out. Yeah, I mean, so what's your – so, like, yeah, it's easy to say great start. Like all those guys are awesome. Um yeah, you have a plan for it. Like, how many are you gonna are you gonna go quantity? Like, when are you, when are you planning to take a starting pitcher, and how many are you planning to get? Like, in the next ten rounds, uh, I'm gonna go get them pretty soon. I'll be honest, because <laughs> I have I'll probably want at least two or three starters in the next five picks. I don't know if I'll go closers yet, because and in reality, a lot of pitchers have not gone compared to most leagues. I'll be totally honest there. Okay. Um, if I showed you the board here, it's pretty like two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 17 total pitchers have gone through five and a half rounds and like six of them are closers. Hmm. That that's why I've been kind of skipping every time I get to my turn. I'm like, there's a ton of starters. I'm like, I can live with this. I can live with this. Like I'm going to keep building up my bats and not have to worry about things. So totally a different approach than I've done in any draft, totally different approach than I've done anywhere. But that's a one reason I like doing these leagues and B we'll see where it goes. But um, I did almost put out a tweet because everyone knows how big of a Trey Turner fan I felt I am, and I felt really guilty because I had a chance to take him at number two. And I took Acuna over Trey, and and it hurt. It hurt quite a bit. So did J Ram go first? J Ram went number one, so that was my number one always. Yeah. And I finally had a chance to take Trey, and I'm like, 
you know what? I, I think I'm on the 30-30 Acuna train. Like, let's do it. So I went Ronald Acuna. So. Hey, man. Remember remember back in August, you passed on Acuna fifth overall. and I know. And I stepped in. Sixth. Yep. Here we go. He'll get hurt, probably go. Get hurt now. But. Yeah. Now we're no, that's here. a fast. And, like, I mean, that's the fun of, like, draft season playing with different strategies and see how it works out and see how you like a build where you don't have a starting pitcher to the fifth or sixth round. Um, it can work. It can absolutely it, work. If you, if you get a bunch of like SP twos, SP threes and, and kind of bully that part of the rotation that can absolutely work. Like watch, let, let me read these off. Pitcher still available. Starting pitchers, Verlander, Urias, Scherzer, Wheeler, Bieber, Gallon, Luis Castillo, Manoa, Freed. Like if I get yeah, one of those guys on my next pick, I'm totally cool with that as my SP one. Like, let's dance, and uh, we'll see how it plays yeah, out. I think I think I'd go Urias, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. See, see at do. this point though, the one thing is waiting this long, and I have like an ace ace. A Urias is even more important, I think, because that's a ratio builder. Where waiting on pitchers and having to kind of jumble a bunch up, you're gonna mess with ratios a little more. So, I think that's that's a good move. All right, uh, last question here. Or no. We got two questions. Uh, Dynasty Junkie asks, "What kind of boost does Jose Abreu see? He's a spray hitter, so I don't see the Crawford blocks as being much of a factor." We kind of hit it on that, but do you yeah. want to mention that one more time? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think just Crawford boxes are not like I mentioned before. You double that home run to fly ball rate, which is his baseline. You get a fantastic hitter. Um, even if he stayed in Chicago, I think Houston even makes that better. So um, Abreu over Vinny P here. Yep, for sure. you've heard it here first. Um, Little Book of Calm has a question for us. We all expect baseball to be a bit of a wild card this year between the pitch clock, bigger bases, and balanced schedule and its effect. Uh, or, and it'll affect fantasy in un- unpredictable ways. What are some of the actionable things you'll be looking for in March and April to gauge the environment for the year? So come spring training, what are you going to be looking for with the new rules per se? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be a freaking wild season like we this is and i think chris clegg has said this he got into fantasy um the the industry in 2020 this is his first normal off season um i agree but it's really not normal because the rules are changing so much it's always um what am i looking for i am going to be very interested in what the league-wide stolen base rate is in april because that will dictate fab pickups and how we're going to have to very quickly recalibrate our stolen base targets. And I think April is going to be enough of a sample for us to get an idea of what that's going to look like, not only league wide, but also, and that's been the conversation this draft season. What's that distribution? Is everyone going to get a boost? Is it only the elite speedsters? I think we'll have a pretty decent answer to that in April. So that's definitely one thing I'm watching. I'm also interested to see how the, pitchers who take the most time both starters and relievers like a kenley jansen a giovanni gallegos how those guys do with the pitch clock in april and and that one i'm a little bit not as confident in because you're just i mean april it's a small sample april they could just be bad for bad luck or just have a bad stretch it may not be because of the pitch clock but i just want to see how that that works out and then the final thing i'll add is I don't know how much I'll take spring training into account. I think there are so many rule changes out there. I think teams are just going to be playing with stuff and messing around and kind of seeing what works and experimenting. 
with different strategies for these rule changes in spring training. So I think what teams do in spring training may or may not be what they do in the actual regular season. That's my take on it. It's a great question. It is. It's a tough one. It's the one, like I've said on many shows, it's like impossible to know exactly what's going to happen. So at least in March and April, we'll have visible kind of cues, maybe. Like that's what he's asking for, which is good. Uh, Mike Petraziello had about a three-part series at MLB.com that are pretty interesting to read on potential shift situations. I heard the new process. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman really breaks down the rules. I need to go check that out. That's always a great book. I I read that this week, actually, in the process. I need to check that out, too. In the end, like these guys are way smarter than I am, so there's probably a lot of validity between what they're doing. There's still a lot of guessing because we don't know. We just don't know. Like You can predict the shift stuff for sure, but the pitch clock, the stolen base thing, there's questions. But at least like a little book of calm ass, like at least March and April, we'll kind of have some visible evidence, some calculable evidence potentially from stuff like Ryan was mentioning, kind of seeing the league-wide steals uh, rates and stuff like that. So I guess you can figure it out there. My degenerate ass will already have had way too many drafts to not even care what they did in March and April. <laughs> so it's going to throw that out there. It's just going to be what it is at that point. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great question because we're all curious, and, and it'll be fun to see how it plays out. Hey, I, I've uh, I've are held off on yet? drafts. No, I have held off. Man. What are you doing? I'm not a degenerate. I am. I am seasoned, no, wise di- beyond my years. You're a different D. You're disappointing. <laughs> I am not. A, I will not be in a draft until I have a draft on January 15th and then 17th. So I'll do two. Uh, gladiators. Got a gladiator on the 15th, and then on the 17th, we've got a first pit. We do this one every year. First oh, pitch yeah. Arizona speaker, draft and yeah. hold. So yeah. I'm holding out till then, man. Man, he's pushing back. The, he's pushing it back, guys. He told us, don't forget, listen to the last episode. He said, said January 1st. Yeah, yep. like he's pushed. Like I'll, like, I'll carry the weight for us. Don't worry about it, guys. I got it. I got yeah, this. You got to do, do two drafts at once. Yeah, I got to take care of this it. for us. We'll make it happen. But all right, Bloom. First episode of the year in the books. Any final thoughts as we get ramped? Next week, we'll start more of a positional vibe with our bloom boards and whatnot. So what do you got? Uh, any final thoughts? No, just stoked. Happy New Year to you. Uh, all the listeners out there, hope everyone had a good time. Stayed safe, yada, yada. Big things planned for us this year. Uh, I think it's going to be an awesome year for us yep. You know, and just building this thing out. So more to come on that soon. But um, but yeah, I, I'm, I cannot wait draft season to really get full out and like i said at the top we are totally starting to see that shift into baseball mode and it's glorious yep it's glorious it's fun and and a teaser the big things to come now doesn't include a high noon sponsorship so we don't we didn't get that one i'll I'll just break that one to everybody now we didn't get that we're working on it still never tried we tried i I shoot or shoot i shot (laughs) so we'll we'll see where that goes but we'll uh, shoot again yeah, we will. I'm not stopping. Can't stop, won't stop. Uh, we got a lot of fun. Maybe I'll, I'll send Big Willie over there. Um, yep. Yep. We got some fun coming up, but thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, catch Ryan on the old Twitter there at RyanBHQ. I'm at BD Entrick. This was Bub in the Bloom, episode 34. Catch you guys next week.